0: Imagine that, you know, even if every mother had 10 advocates working on her behalf or 12 advocates working on her behalf to engage her through these dimensions of wellness that are necessary for her to be able to thrive. If we had that, our outcomes would be different.
1: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of MCH Bridges. I'm your host, Mara Leahy. Program Manager in Child and Adolescent Health, and this is MCH Bridges, the official podcast of the Association of Maternal and Child Health Programs, also known as AMCHIP. AMCHIP hopes that MCH Bridges will help our listeners create new connections to maternal and child health leaders, organizations, and ideas, as well as inspire and guide listeners towards actions that will improve the systems that impact MCH populations. MCH Bridges aims to lift up stories and people from the MCH field by centering the voices of the public health workforce force people and communities most impacted by inequities and individuals and families with lived experiences. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Rashawn DeLue-Grand and Jolisha Fairbanks of the Intune Mother Society, or Tims, a community-rooted organization in Dell City, Oklahoma, whose mission is to invest in community-based perinatal health education by modeling a healing justice framework for social change. Thank you both for sharing in part one of this episode, The Barriers to Your Work. And I appreciate your framing, Rashonda, of some of these barriers around the historical perspective of slavery and the oppression of Black Americans by our listeners this Black History Month. Now we would like to shift our discussion to talking about solutions. How can the MCH field and workforce, so organizations like AMCHIP and its members, be an accomplice in breaking down some of the barriers that you're facing?
0: The coaching consultant in me says that we need to create space for conversations to deepen and not just conversations that touch the surface. I'll give this analogy. This analogy came to me this morning. And I tell you, I was up all night last night because I was so excited about this uh, (laughs) this opportunity today. I'll take you back to my days in, in hospice care. And when we would do wound care, when we would do wound care, a lot of times the body breaks down when it's not being palpitated right when it's not being touched when it's not being supported when it's uh, when it's immobile right we don't get the full circulatory support we don't get the blood flow the oxygen is not moving through the body appropriately so then you get bed sores and in one way the only way that you can really clean a bed sore once that get deep is that you've got to get to the root of it you got to clean out all of that dead flesh that's over top so that you can pack it down with new, clean, sterile things that allow that healing to come up from the root. That is what I see in our reproductive and maternal and child health care system is that we're allowing for our families to lay dormant in spaces that show up in ways that are harmful to their health. And the only way for us to really heal that wound, because it's a wound, there's a a war on reproductive health. There's a war on maternal child health. And we know that with war comes resources. So we know that there are resources available to be able to pay for the gauze that needs to be packed down into that wound, to sterilize it, to really help, to keep turning, to keep turning that community, you know, so that it's not just laying dormant in one space, but to keep moving and mobilizing so that we can get that blood flowing, so that we can get that inertia, that back and forth that's needed. So we have to be able to look at this from not a death lens because we've done that and we continue to narrate it as such. But to look at it from a lens of healing, how can we heal if we continue to put a bandaid over a gunshot wound? It doesn't work. You know, so we need to be able to look at ways to mobilize conversations. And for us, especially by uh, looking at solutions in regards to putting the community to work. Putting the community to work is is about innovation, It's about ingenuity. I think of individuals that are my my mentors, you know, individuals like Bridget Biddy Mason. You know, if you don't know about who she was, she was a a slave midwife who ended up paying for her freedom as she moved across the state lines into California. She was able to be the first African-American woman to buy land in the 1800s. She was considered a multimillionaire and she did this by engaging her community. And in engaging her community, she created networks. So we have to be able to have networks within our communities to be able to share and show how to build anti-racist practices, how to build, you know, from that lens that we're not looking at white fragility as our aim to be able to build capacity for this work or nice racism, because there's a whole community of individuals who believe that you know, um, because you're awoke or you're aware that it still doesn't hold a, a lens of bias and oppression. And so we we all do, but we have to be able to look through this lens and see, do we really want to heal? Do we really want to get to the root? Do we really want to dig up that dead flesh and pull that out so that we can start to heal, so that we can really start to move and mobilize and engage? That's the solution, If you've never read it, any organization that I walk into, and I know that it's a majority white-led organization as it relates to uh, birth justice or anything around birth work, I always leave when they ask me, what do you suggest that we do? I tell them, read the Willie Lynch letter. If you read the Willie Lynch letter, it'll give you a paradigm-shifting view of what you are dealing with within the Black childbearing community. And then once you read that letter, then come to the table with your compassion, you know, with your ideas about how to solve that, because that is what we're looking at. We're looking at those remnants. And
1: with that, we can create solutions. Thank you for sharing. Julisha, did you have anything you wanted to add around how the maternal and child health field can be doing more to help organizations like Tims?
2: Conversation, yes, Um, definitely conversation. But for me, like myself, I would just like to just play my part. Like there are times where I feel like I don't have anything, but I'm going to find resources, whether that's to bring it to the organization or to bring it to mothers and just continue to tell my story. Um, But yes, definitely getting deeper into conversations and not sugarcoating things anymore. And I mean, everybody needs funding. Everybody needs funding. That's like a big thing. And so I'll just leave it at that. Just wanting and meditating on everyone playing their part instead of, Making it work for them, just having more heart for the community, not how can I help this situation to make myself look good or not for themselves, but for the community, for for birth work, for the children that are being brought into the world, because those are our future leaders. Like it's deeper than just organizations or people saying they did something to be a tax write-off or something like that, like it's deeper than all of that to me. And so it's all of that and one having a heart and putting forth the action on top of getting, having those deep conversations.
1: I think too, like what I've heard from both of you is also just weight of the community already is doing so much. So I feel like whatever it is, maternal and child health and public health, We need to do it in ways that's not just going to add more weight and add more to your plates because you're already doing so much. We need to figure out ways that, you know, be it funding, that we can just do a better job of being accomplices to advancing your work forward. So we understand that. The Into Mother Society's ultimate goal is to develop a viable Black workforce to uplift Black-led community-based organizations to focus on anti-racist practices in the maternal and child health sector of Oklahoma. With your work in mind, what does Black entrepreneurship and ingenuity mean? Oh,
0: it means that you're taking something that may not have existed Right. And you have a vision in place to engage that thing into a manifested space. Entrepreneurial is about faith. It's a faith walk, you know, and when we're building workforce innovation for um, for our community, you know, our work as perinatal wellness coaches is innovative and We believe that because when you're looking at training individuals just to become doulas or just to become breastfeeding educators, if we could create space for people to have multiple concepts around how they're able to build income, how they're able to build their value, how they're able to really show up in their communities, then we can see a difference in. Being able to build enterprise, build in the marketplace, and and build a way of viability, right? And so, entrepreneurship means to me that you can produce something from nothing, and you can make that thing be a working capacity or capital, a working capital for you to be able to do the things that you need to have done. Most of the times when I hear, you know, from other birth workers is that this is poor people's work. And I beg to differ. I beg to differ because they feel that in supporting the community, majority of the community that is targeted are people who would otherwise not have access. So the ingenuity of building a workforce for Black-led community-based organizations is that we're saying it's not about the expertise or letters or certifications or credentials. It's about really understanding the needs of what the community is asking for. And if you're not showing up with the needs that they're asking for, but just saying, hey, this is what we're going to give you, that doesn't work because everybody is not cookie cut. That's the reason why we feel that like building these practices into, you know, through the healing justice programming that we have. Our healing justice program is nine weeks. And at the end of that nine weeks, you have an actionable plan that you can work through in order for you to see how do I show up in the community? How do I practice anti-racism? How do I really embody healing justice? You know, and we use this time to really go over and see what are all these social determinants of health that's impacting us to be able to build that bridge forward. You know, and not only just looking at it from a space of, of deliverables, right? Or of products or of services, but looking at it from a mindset as a provider. So as a provider, you have to be able to have you know, a mindset of transformation so that you can even receive because as an entrepreneur, that's what your goal is, is to be able to receive something in return or in exchange for what it is that you're providing. That's how you build economy. And when we can build an economy that looks at this work from a lens or from a view that says that is is viable, it's a career that can be utilized Amongst many professions, there's there's no profession out here that is specifically focused on perinatal health or reproductive health. You know, it, it has to tie into behavioral health. That's when you see some of these and they're still not a place that they're really focusing in on childbirth and birth and bodies. We're focusing it in there because we understand that if we're saying that majority of the population of childbearing communities are having a hard time, then that's where we need to focus. You know, we need to focus on the Black body, and how we can really bring what I've coined and termed reproductive consciousness to a marketplace that makes sense for all. Because when you fix it for one, you're fixing it for everybody.
2: So I could say um, that in this time of my apprenticeship, um, I have always been a hard worker. And so before I came into this work, college dropout, 19-year-old, pregnant, I enrolled into massage school. That's probably one of the biggest, most rewarding thing I could ever do for myself, because I can always make money for myself. However, we have, we as a people have been trained to just lowball ourselves, and it wasn't until I got into this work that I, you know, I started looking at big numbers. I'm like, okay, I as a worker, for me to put my all into something, I deserve to wake up and not have worry. I deserve to have financial freedom. I deserve to not live my life paying bills to bill. And so when I think of ingenuity, it's the quality of being cleverly inventive or resourceful. So when we started to really look at the numbers and calculate And (laughs) my mentor, Shonda, she really coached me on this. And I started to like a part of me was ashamed, like, oh, you know, I need to double that number. And I'm like, you know, why do I feel bad for thinking I deserve one hundred and twenty thousand a year? People make that in their sleep. And so for me, it's like, OK, I'm exhausting myself. I'm waking up. I'm doing this. I'm paying bills, taking care of my three children, and then I'm giving all of me to the community. And so as far as entrepreneurship goes, we have to know our words. Money is just a tool. So why does it cause us to feel ashamed for asking more when we're just in the wrong spaces that have trained us to feel like we don't deserve that. It was, I think uh, our week eight assignment, we had to know and including everything, whether that's a car note, gas, how much money it takes for you to eat, all bills, rent, mortgage. We had to calculate every single thing down to the T and my mind was blown. I'm like, Yeah, I got a lot of work to do as far as financial and putting an actual plan to figure out how I'm going to take care of myself while still being devoted to my community because my heart is in it. My heart is what brought me to this. So I'm not thinking about financial as much as I should. And that's why I like the Into Mother Society. like. We understand that our heart needs to be number one, but we also need to get paid for what we do. Because if we don't, we're going to be in the same boat as our community, stressed out, trying to make ends meet. And it's just that's not a cool way way to go about it or to to work, because then I should be able to sleep at night knowing that I'm good. I can eat tomorrow. My gas is going to go. My car is going to go because it has gas in it. And I can't go serve the people I need to serve without being stressed out. And so that's what Black entrepreneurship is to me right now, is just not even asking, but demanding. And if you cannot help with that part, then that just means that that organization or those people are just not for me at the time. That doesn't mean it it will never come. And so I sleep well knowing that and I don't give up. I know that we will get the help community, perinatal wellness coaches, midwifery, all of that will be taken care of because of how strong we believe in the work. We don't turn our head. We don't cry when somebody tells us no. We just keep pressing forward. And that's what it That's what it takes. That's what entrepreneur is to me. You don't give up. You keep going until the universe says, okay, you took 10 no's. So we're going to give you five yeses that amount greater to what you even asked for. And that's the rewarding part.
1: I feel like that is a brilliant transition to our last question. Um, so we'd love to hear what you all feel like are just or equitable approaches to partnerships between governmental, public health, healthcare, or payer systems. What are equitable and just approaches to partnerships between those organizations and community-based organizations or efforts like TIMS? How can we... Being AMCHIP being the maternal and child health staff and state and territory public health agencies work alongside you.
0: I think of this as a two-fold approach, right? So on one side, we need the governmental public health care systems to see that there is a need in the healthcare system, you know, for such support services. And then the healthcare systems can see it. But when the government can't see that, right, that's where we end up falling, you know, short in building those relationships. So one of the ways that I feel that it can really work is by you know, maybe creating introductions, maybe creating space for reappropriation of funds in some capacity or another, or looking at ways to engage funding around piloting programs, you know, that potentially, you know, can be utilized to show how these types of support services can work and building, starting in Oklahoma where we are, you know, opportunities for us to engage with payer systems, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Humana, Tricare, to make systems of care that wrap around and that build anchors in the community. Because that's basically what what I feel like could be a great start, you know, even if that's looking at saying, hey, how can we build a relationship inside of the, you know, the healthcare system here in Oklahoma that has a relationship with the uh, Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse? How can we have something um, in relationship with the healthcare authority? Because we've tried to make those connections, but those connections have, I think, been hard to to stamp in, specifically now, even with this whole pandemic issue, that these are long-term goals and not short-term reaches, right? So if we could create you know, a space to where we even maybe have something within the Department of Health that's, you know, the Perinatal Wellness Task Force or um, Perinatal Wellness Workforce Innovation Department, that we are the place where people can go in and train and work with SNAP and TANF families to build that economy around putting those resources back into the community so the community can serve itself. Because that becomes a problem, right, every time. And so if we can build efforts to organize systems that allow room and space for those types of relationships to intersect, then I think that would be a great place to start and to look at being able to uplift those individuals who are in these programs to have viable occupation, to have economic security and resources that are poured into their education, that is invested into their well-being. And we are building that bridge and we're building that economy around what it would look like if we really served the community at the capacity that we could. Will we see lower maternal death rates? Will we see lower infant mortality rates? Will we see lower prematurity? You know, will we see lower issues with preeclampsia, high blood pressure, diabetes, gestational diabetes? Will we see a shift and a change in those things? Will we see a shift in postpartum depression and mood disorder? If we saw a nucleus come together, right? I'll say this as a beekeeper. We actually, my husband and I, we keep bees, right? Hence to the name Beehive Birth Consulting. We do this as a sustainable model. In my studies in anthropology, we study human origins. We study behaviors. We study the concepts of living and longevity. And what I've learned from keeping bees is that every queen bee has 60,000 advocates working on her behalf. Imagine that, you know, even if every mother had ten. Advocates working on her behalf or 12 advocates working on her behalf to engage her through these dimensions of wellness that are necessary for her to be able to thrive. If we had that, our outcomes would be different. It's not just about checking off boxes in the community to say, well, she showed up today, you know, or she initiated breastfeeding or she tried to use this product or this product to help We're talking about really engaging intimate spaces, you know, inside of a beehive. That's the most closeness and intimacy that you can see in human nature. And if the bees go, I don't know what we're going to do as humans on the planet, you know. And so our, our concept is that, is that if we can look at if we start to see a increase in deaths in one population, then what does, how does that impact us globally as a population in and of itself? We need each other. And if we don't come together in a way that is supportive in our infrastructure, that's supportive in the way that we we build from our environment to our education, to our um, economics, to the way that we are able to be employed, then we're not going to see empowerment, And those are our five pillars at the Into Mother Society. Environment, education, um, employability, economics, and empowerment. We need those. You know, I had an elder say we need to add two more, enlightenment and entertainment. We need to be able to facilitate that space because that's what keeps us whole. That's what brings us together is that what environment we grow up in, how are we educated in that environment, How are we employable in that environment? What does that environment produce for us economically? Does that uplift us and sustain us to a thriving perspective in the overall empowerment of our well-being? It can if we work together in creating those systems. And so that's what we can ask is that how can we get in a conversation with MCHIP, how can we get in a conversation with maternal or child health to really look at this from a futuristic lens? If we have a solution in place to be able to build and train and educate community members to be able to serve themselves and to serve their population, what a difference that would make. How much of a load off would that be on other healthcare workers that they know that when their clients come to see them, they're coming in healthy. And if they're not healthy, we're creating pathways for them to get there. And that's our vision, is to be able to build that broad spectrum of care that's community based, that's collective in its orientation, and that provides the opportunity for us to really see perinatal
2: wellness work.
1: Thank you for that. Jalisha, did you have anything you wanted to add?
2: From my perspective, I would say I would just like to see more people reach out. Like when you're building a relationship, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one conversation and then i check on you in five years. Like you... Should if it's something you're passionate about, like call that CEO once a week, twice a month, whatever it is, whatever your capacity is, just check in with that organization and see, you know, how can my people help your people and less conversations about show us how this can work, because we have the proof. We have the proof of how it is working. I am the proof. I have women who I can. I Like she said, 10 to 12 women I could call. If one is busy, I'll call the next. If that one is busy, I'll call the next. I know that I have a network within myself that I have been able to build over a year's time span. It took a little bit, but I have that. A lot of women can't say that. I have friends who I'm probably their only person. I have friends who, you know, have nobody they can call on who will just sit at home in the dark, depressed, who don't have that sense of urgency for themselves to say, okay, I need this. I, there's no way I can sit here by myself today. I need somebody. And so I want people to have that luxury and that security for themselves. Every mother should have a team, a squad, a support group. No one should just feel alone. And so that's what it is to me It's just Consistent support, not something that's like, oh, I'm gonna give you $5,000 and go far with that. Well, no, and it's not even just about the money. Call and see. Ask us about the mothers that we're helping. You know, come visit us. Come come see the center. Come just be a part of it and not something that's just a a call a phone call or a wire transfer. We need people to come to our events, come see what our childbirth classes are about. Come see how we help facilitate entire families, not just the mother but the father too. Come see how we um help develop children while parents are so wrapped up into a new birth and they you know they can't be there to nurture and give their previous children the attention they need because they're preparing for something new. So it's it's more about consistently checking in. I feel like that would help a lot if we had people who really were passionate, who had the capacity to Because I know we're all busy. I'm a busy person, but stuff I care about, I literally plan it out. I write it down. Okay, I can't get to it this month. I'm going to get to it next month. Plan us, fit us in your schedule, fit organizations like this into your mind to where it is. It's not just a thought that passes. Oh, I hope they do good. I hope they make it. I hope I hope God sends someone their way. What can you offer? Who do you know that can put forth the effort? And so I'll just leave it at that, consistently checking in.
1: Thank you so much. We just wanted to give you both the floor to see whether there was anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners today.
0: I would just like to say thank you. You know, thank you for, for being committed, you know, and committed to your word and committed to the option and opportunity because when... You guys reached out from AMCHIP to say, this is what we want to do to uplift the work that you're doing at the Into Mother Society is, you know, can we get you on this interview? And we were like, I think that'd be a great opportunity, you know, and I'm just excited And I'm grateful. And for those individuals who, you know, want to know more about our organization, you can definitely find us on the social channels at uh, www.timcenter.org. And if you have any questions or, you know, would like to be a part of helping us build our campaigns, you know, around our work, you can find that information on our website. And we definitely appreciate the support in the audience and for making this um, time for us to be voiced and heard.
2: And I would just say that I feel really special. I feel honored to (laughs) sit next to Rashonda Legrand because she is somebody that is very important to me. This is my very first podcast or anything like that. So I'm excited to see and re-listen and just see how we can connect through this outlet. And I'm just thankful to be here.
1: Delisha, I would not have known that. I would have thought that you were a seasoned podcast (laughs) guest, truly. Um, I appreciate that. But I mean, on behalf of Amtip, I just want to thank you both for your time, for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your storytelling. I feel like I could just listen to you both for hours. And I've learned so much during this time. And I know I have a lot of sort of immediate next steps in learning that your sharing has spurred in me. and I think it's probably spurred a lot for our listeners as well. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of MCH Bridges. We kindly ask that you take a few minutes to fill out a quick feedback survey and let us know what MCH related topics you're interested in and who you want to hear from on future episodes. A link to the podcast feedback survey, as well as a transcript of this episode can be found at www mchbridges.org for those interested in learning more about birth justice work we've shared several additional resources in the description of this episode at mchbridges.org be sure to follow Amchip on social media we're on twitter and instagram at dc underscore amchp we hope this episode created some new connections for you stay well and i hope our paths cross on the next mch bridges This project is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, or HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, as part of an award totaling $1,963,039, with 0% financed with non-governmental sources. This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.